It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Sinatra singing Nancy. Uh, this it was a song. This song was a favorite of Paulie Walnuts on The Sopranos. The character. I don't know if the real life Tony uh, Sirico was as big a fan as Paulie was uh, of it on The Sopranos, but chances are pretty good that he was. I am just thrilled to be able to meet and in person a fellow that I have known of and uh, admired for. Many years, uh, Mike Gottrapelli is the uh, a former progressive turned libertarian, former WABC studio director, and now the host of the brand new podcast. It's got three words. Those of you that are Bob Grant fans will appreciate them. Let's be heard. Mike, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Frank. I have to correct you. It actually has four words. It's and let's be heard. If you remember, oh, Bob, <laughs> Bob is the only one right. which made it unique to him. Remember, and let's be heard. That's, was what that's right. So, yeah, that's right. it's close, though. That's <laughs> pretty, a pretty good Bob Grant uh, impersonation. <laughs> yeah, been doing it for a long time. I, I can imagine. Now, when did you yeah. first start listening to Bob? You know, I, I was listening to ABC like in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. I was like 16, 17, and I was really into sports. Back then, I was more of sports than politics. So I was listening to, you know, who they have back then, Art Rush Jr., Steve Malsberg doing sports. And, and they carried the Yankees. And obviously. they carried the Yankee games. So I used to watch, listen to every Yankee game on the on ABC. And uh, then I started to work in college radio in Staten Island. I went to City University of Staten Island. CSI. CSI. Great. Yeah. And uh, I started working in their radio station. And I said, you know what? I want to – let me see if I can be an intern at ABC. It was like a – it's crazy. One day – it's like – I don't know if it works like this anymore, but I just simply called. And I said, do you guys need an intern? And they said, yeah, Steve Molsberg in the sports department needs an intern. I said, okay. He said, they said, come in. We'll interview you. I came in. Within five minutes, I got the gig. And this was 1990, and I was 18 years old. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I just started working. At that time, Steve has started doing the pre- and post-game shows mm-hmm. for the Yankee I remember that. broadcast. Yeah. And so every here I'm an 18-year-old Yankee fan, radio fan, sports fan, going to Yankee Stadium every game. And Steve was great. He let me do interviews. He just let do what you want to do. I used to... Sit there in a manager's office doing interviews at 18 years old. And then um, how did you make the transition from interning to working at the radio station? Interned for that year, for, the, for that year, for six months. And, uh, and then I left in about maybe March of 91, I got a call from ABC. And, uh, was, I was the program director John Minnelli at I, the time? Uh, it was, uh, no, it wasn't John yet. John had come and gone. And uh-huh. You know that whole thing so back and forth. Valerie Geller. Valerie Geller, got right. It. And uh, and Jay Diamond, who I had met in 1990, remember Jay Diamond before he did a show was doing board operating right, and screening, right. and we became good friends. And uh, he needed a uh, studio director, so they called, and I said I'll take the job, and that's how it all started. That is pretty neat. So you yeah. enjoyed working with Malsberg as an intern and doing the sports, uh, that kind of thing. With yeah, him. I mean it was. Uh, I think it was one of the, the 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 greatest but toughest internships. I mean, I worked every Yankee game. We were in, you know, other home games or road games in the studio. So I was there basically for six months straight. Wow. Hardly a day off. And then how, um, yeah. when did you leave WABC? Uh, late 96. 96. So you were there for the whole tenure of the Curtis and Lisa Sliwa morning show. That's what happened. Jay had started the morning show, then Curtis and Lisa took over the morning show. 
So I started, so I worked on Curtis and Lisa's show. And then Curtis and Lisa, you know, another thing I, I was into was film. We can talk about Tony Sirico sure, in a minute. Sure. I interviewed Tony Sirico. Oh, I do want to hear about <laughs> yeah. that. But um, so I was into film, and I'm like, uh, can, I, can I do film reviews on your show? And Curtis and Lee said, sure, do them every Friday. So that was doing that. So that was, you know, studio director, and I was doing film reviews on their show every Friday. Um, and I, then I started. Uh, but min- you did film reviews on Jay's show as well, later. right? Later. Yeah, later, okay. yeah. Because John Minnelli had said, you know what, Mike? I want you to work on Bob's show. Bob needed a screener, mm-hmm. a new screener. And he said, I'm going to put you on because in the morning show, the way it was designed was it was so strict. It was there weren't as many calls as Bob used to take. You know, Bob used to take. That was the whole show. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So John said, we're going to make you work. We're going to put you on and make you be a real call screener. I said, "Okay, sure. And that's how I and I worked with Bob from 91 until he left in 96. Now, um, it's funny. uh, You you may have heard this, but about uh, five or six months ago. Uh, someone called in on uh, on a Friday and said, what was the name of that producer that used to do the film reviews for Jay Diamond? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked Jay, <laughs> and I thought it was you, and he <laughs> says, I think he's talking about Mike Acciapelli. Yeah, well, when I, Jay, then I, after I stopped doing the reviews on Curtis and Lisa's show and I was doing Bob's show, Jay had me come on every Friday, and that was for years. I would, I would come on on Fridays at the end of his show and do like five minutes of film reviews. Have you ever seen or experienced a talk talent like Jay Diamond? <laughs> <laughs> no. He, he's got to be. I, I think he's one of the most talented people Absolutely. ever to speak into a microphone. And you have to remember, he had done, I mean, he was like green at that point. And they mm-hmm. put him on the morning show, you know, which was which was tough. It was a tough gig for someone who hadn't done any real radio before then. And he was fantastic. He was a professional from day one, from day one. And he learned from Bob, you know. Yeah. You know, it's Bob. funny. I discovered on YouTube the other day, and I'd never heard this before, and I don't remember it. Uh, an interview that uh, Jay, who, you know, especially at that time, was very critical of uh, Al Sharpton and a lot of the, um, you know, people that were f- heavily focused on yeah. race in uh, in the country at the time. And he did this interview with uh, Jesse Jackson. And clearly, you know, they disagree on a whole host of issues from affirmative action to several others. Uh, but um, I thought this was such an interesting interview. Were you with uh, Jay at that time? I was remember I, what I was doing was the film reviews on Friday. That show was not on a Friday. I gotcha. can remember actually, believe it or not, listening at home to that show because Jay told me right. I'm going to be interviewing Jesse Jackson. I'm like, oh my god, I have to listen to this, and I listened to the whole thing. And uh, he seemed to Jesse Jackson seemed to kind of win Jay over a little bit in that interview. Maybe not in terms of the issues, right. but as a personality. And they actually had a good rapport, and it was yeah. friendly. It and was. It, That's what, the kind what, of thing you're missing these days. And what was the line Jesse Jackson used at the You know, end? Jay just told me about this yesterday <laughs> yeah. uh, because I sent him this this interview. But it was uh, – they in, they said, I hope we could do this again soon. And then he said something like, um, you got a deal, McNeil. Yeah, it's, something. A, yeah. And, it's a deal, McNeil. When Jay said something like, "Are you gonna, will you come on again in the future? And Jesse Jackson said, yeah, it's a deal, McNeil. And that was just like a, a, an incredible moment because you have to remember in the 90s in New York – there was a lot of oh, yeah. problems with crime and race and the race issues. Yeah, it sounds was, a lot like New York of 2022. Uh, ex- exactly. It's come around again. Um, the Being at that station at that time, you got to see the dissolution of not only an on-air partnership but a marriage with Curtis and Lisa. What was it like working with them and being around them when their marriage is falling apart, essentially live on the air? In some ways, it's kind of the first reality show. Frank, you have to remember, that was a crazy time. Curtis got shot I, oh, during that time, I too. Remember. And I remember being there. I mean, I was, I was working on the you show. You ask Curtis what time it is. He reminds you that he's gotten got shot. Yeah, and yeah. It, was, it, was, it was dramatic. Because, you know, doing, I come in and do the show, as I do every morning, and they say Curtis was shot. And I'm like, what? What are you kidding? And it was, that was an incredible time. It was just an incredible time to be in this business, in this city. But that was a great 
you know, that was a, for a young kid, 19 years old at the time, basically my first job in radio. Mm. Um, it was it was very exciting. Uh, Chuck with Mike Acciapelli. He is the uh, he is a former progressive turned libertarian. These days, he's the host of a new podcast called "And Let's Be Heard." How do people get that? And let's it's be heard. A, I, I believe it's a fairly new network. I'm not sure. It's called callin.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. So and a they lot find of, it through there. And a lot of people have uh, podcasts on there, from Glenn Greenwald to Jimmy Dore. So every you know this podcast thing is becoming very big. Absolutely, you know. that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of great podcasts at uh, wabcradio.com as well. That people people should uh, be sure to check out. Um, tell me about your political journey from progressive to libertarian who seems to pretty much vote Republican these days. What, what, what caused you to shift from left to right? Well, let's start with actually working on Bob's show. So here I am in uh, you know, 1992 working on Bob's show. And you know Bob was incredibly conservative. Mm. You know, and there I would I would come in as a young, you know, maybe 21 year old with my uh, Clinton Gore 92 pin on. And I remember Bob saying, hey, you're a callow youth. You'll change as you get older. And I said, oh, Bob, stop. Everyone says that it's not going to happen. Well, 50 years later, well, 50 <laughs> years old now, I guess 20 years late, later, um, I, I was a real establishment Democrat. Right. I was a Clinton guy. Um, and uh, Hillary Clinton, all of them. And then I think what happened was Bernie Sanders really changed my mind as far as the establishment Democrat regime goes. And in 2015, I became a, a fan of, of Bernie Sanders and, you know, the progressives. And I voted for Bernie Sanders twice. I mean, I, I campaigned for him hard. I, I gave him money in 2016 and 2020. So I was a real progressive. Absolutely. Yeah. A real progressive, really believing in Bernie's campaign. And I think what happened over the last two and a half years, as I was just talking about in your green room, is that – the wokeness, this woke agenda, and I think Bill Maher has talked about mm. this too, this lack of common sense in the Democratic Party. Um, and I think there was a, a one-two punch combo of Trump and COVID that totally destroyed the Democratic brain, if you will. Um, and you know where they cannot get over this, I like to say, Trump derangement syndrome, where everything comes back to Trump. And if you disagree with them on anything, and like the old days where you could, you know, you could discuss things, and, and if you disagreed, it was fine. Now it's you're canceled, you're out, I don't want to talk to you, you're a Trump supporter, you're a white supremacist. It's, like, it's almost just to end the conversation. And I think the, the, the democratic hypocrisy, where, you know, I live in California, so I'm dealing with, you know, the Mayor London Breed, I'm dealing with Nancy Pelosi, right, sure. I'm dealing with Gavin Newsom, where they say, you know, wear a mask, shut your business down, there he is going to the French Laundry, eating with 30 friends, no mask on. And this was constant, as you know, this hypocrisy from the Democrats during COVID. Whereas, you know, uh, do as we say, not as we do, basically. If you're somebody that has spent the bulk of your political adulthood as a progressive, you know, chances are, you know, you're pretty, especially if you were donating to Bernie Sanders as recently as two years ago, chances are, you know, on issues like health care, taxes, a bunch of key economic issues, uh, issues related to labor and the workplace, you would have a traditionally left-wing position. Even if you get upset about, uh, you know, Democrats trying to cancel Thomas Jefferson and take Woodrow Wilson's name off everything and uh, tear down all the Theodore Roosevelt statues, and everyone, I think, sees how silly that stuff is, wouldn't voting Republican kind of put all those issues that you've worked your whole life for or and voted towards your whole life, wouldn't that put all those issues in jeopardy? I don't know. You know, I, I've I've stated on my podcast is almost like a almost like a coming out for me. You know, I feel so passionate now. Uh-huh. I've always been passionate about politics, always. 
But I, I think now it's almost like I've discovered that maybe I was always a certain way and never knew it, or maybe the party was a certain way and never wanted to admit it. But I think it was the idea of big government. You know, where at, at one point in my life, I thought, oh, big government can help you. You know, big government's here to help you. And I think over the last two and a half years, my, my worldview on that has changed mm. to where it's basically just all about control. We want to control you. We want to control what you have to do. If we tell you wear a mask, you wear a mask. We tell you shut down your business, you shut down your business. doesn't matter. We don't have to show you facts. We don't have to show you any evidence that this stuff works, that we need to do this stuff. And so I think I have really learned. And also with the Second Amendment. I used to be totally against the Second Amendment, Frank. I used to be totally against it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. And now I realize that that's a big reason why the government can't do here what they do mm. in places like China, where they lock you in your building. It's just the, the deterrent of never, not knowing if someone can defend themselves or not in the founding fathers. That was the kind of the idea, right? Uh, <laughs> that is indeed. We're talking yeah. with uh, Mike Cacciopoli. He is a former progressive turned libertarian. You can check out his podcast and Let's Be Heard. Now, I remember, I want to say 04, 05-ish, you actually ran for Congress in Arizona, right? You've done your research, right? Well, yeah. I remember that at the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember yeah, that I at the time. Yeah. And you ran as a you know traditional Democrat. liberal Democrat. And I was, and I was. It was, um, this was yeah. But then why, when you, you lost the election, you moved right out of Arizona? Why, well, you know everything. This is frightening. Yeah, well, I, mean, I did. Well, I left Arizona right away. Um, I just felt my time there was done. Mm-hmm. You know, Let me give you a little background there. Um, so probably, I, that might have been the first time I soured on the Democratic Party because here I was. Just a guy who, you know, didn't have any money behind me, wasn't a you know, self-made millionaire where I could put $2 million of my own money into a campaign, which is really what you have to do I to know. win these days. Yeah. And um, I was in this primary with one of the person, and that person dropped out, and it was just me. I said, wow, this is great. Now I'm going to – and the, the incumbent at the time was Rick Renzi, who was incredibly corrupt. And in fact, after he won re-election six months later, there were like 40 counts. Yeah, I entire, remember that. Yeah. Right. So no one believed me anyway. So <laughs> – um, and, and what happened was the Democratic Party, because I was a nobody, because I didn't have a big name and have a lot of money, they automatically put someone in there who was a millionaire who threw a, a million of her own money into that. But don't you think the Republicans do that? They as well? do it absolutely. I, mean, I think both parties are just as interested in finding absolutely well financed. But it seems like the Democrats are doing that more now, especially with the Green Party, where mm-hmm. they try to block them. Oh yeah, well, you well know, you're seeing that being, here in New York. Yes, uh, as well. Right. And so that I really soured at that point towards. I guess running for office. I was like, you know, I put 15 months of my time into it. And unlike a district in New York City or a district in San Francisco, we're talking two-thirds of the state of Arizona. So here I'm driving around 500 miles for 15 months, putting everything into it uh, for the Democrats just to say, you know what, you're a nobody, we don't want you running. What made you move out west initially? Uh, What happened? Let's see. Well, I guess I had, you know, New York City has been a couple, it was very expensive, you know, and uh, I had, I guess, tired of the East Coast a little bit. And I wanted to try the West Coast. I had a friend who lived in Seattle at the time mm-hmm. and said, why don't you come out here and see what it's like? So I was living in Seattle for a while. Actually, I left out a whole chunk of my life in Las Vegas where I was on the radio in Vegas. I know. That's yeah. where I interviewed Tony Sirico when I was on KXNT. I had left ABC. And about a month after I left ABC, I got the job in, in KXNT in Las We're Vegas. We're being heard now, by the way, in the, on the Nevada Talk Network. Is that it's right? Four yes. or five great stations in Nevada. And so. KXNT was kind of new at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a job there as the producer for the afternoon drive show. And I was doing that for a while, and they were having a problem with their morning show. It wasn't – it was a – there was a man who was on ABC named Dave Dawson. You remember mm-hmm. Dave sure. Dawson? Sure, absolutely. And he, he went out to – this was later in his career on Las Vegas radio. He wasn't really cutting it, and they wanted me to go on with him to bring a different perspective, more energy. So I did that. 
And I did that for a while. And then another guy took over and I co-hosted the morning show for about four or five months. Um, so it was a great experience in Vegas because unlike in New York, I was able to do, you know, real on-air stuff and do a morning show. I had a weekend entertainment show. Cool. That's where Sirico comes into it. And so that's what I was doing. I was doing radio in Vegas. And Vegas was really building up at that time. So it was a decent market, mm-hmm. you know, to be in. Um, and then I, I had left that job and, and came back to New York, did a little bit of radio producing here and there. And then I kind of, you know, I, I don't want to seem cynical, and I soured on the business because when I started in radio, it, it, it seemed like it was all about the creativity. And then, of course, Disney took over. Mm. And it became much more corporate, you know, and I, I, I kind of soured on, on that corporate sure. mentality. Oh, absolutely. You know, just to be honest about it, you know. No, I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, how is New York different now uh, when, as opposed to when you moved out of here, when you left? Or oh, how is it the same? Boy, New York now? Uh, I, It's like San Francisco. I mean, it's it's going downhill. You know, we, we I have fought to try to change things in San Francisco. I was even thinking, believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, running for mayor of San Francisco at one point. But it's just the voters in, in California and the voters in New York are just deep blue Democrats. And it's really tough. I have friends here um, who complain about the crime all the time. They complained about de Blasio. They hated him. They hate Adams now. His approval is, what, 25 in the last poll? Mm-hmm. And I said, but you keep voting for these people. You have a guy here, Curtis, who they could have voted for, right? But no, he's a Republican, so forget it. We can't we can't. We yeah, can't well, that's why I've always been a big believer in nonpartisan elections, really, for all all municipalities, because uh, you're right. People do get uh, blinded by the stigma of uh, one party or another. It's like a cult, yeah, like exactly. a cult mentality. Exactly. I saw, uh, I listened to your most recent uh, podcast, and let's be heard, in which you focus on the case of Jose Alba, this uh, yeah. bodega owner right. that's being prosecuted for murder in what a lot of people believe was a self-defense incident. Eric Adams has come out and spoken in his defense. The Democratic district attorney in Richmond County, um, he's saying that this wouldn't be a prosecution if it happened in Staten Island. Um, give me your take on this uh, situation here. Uh, it, it, it just drives me crazy. I mean, you have Alvin Bragg, a guy who won. We, we, know, we got rid of Chesa Budin, as you know, in San mm-hmm. Francisco. We kicked him out, which is an amazing feat to kick out a, a liberal district attorney in San Francisco, but that shows you how bad things have gotten, that the crime has now gone into those white liberal areas now where they're saying, oh, no, now the crime's in our area. We have to do something about this, right? And so you have Alvin Bragg, who won't prosecute criminals, right, who will let criminals out um, with no bail and light sentences, and then you have a guy here who defends himself. It's obviously self-defense. Now, my question is, maybe you have an answer here. Did the police and the DA at first not look at that video that the rest of us have seen? I've seen the, the real three-minute video right. on Twitter. Yeah, no, they, I watched you know, they, it as They well. stop on, on TV mm-hmm. on the knife. And I'm thinking, if you watch that, how would you charge this yeah, guy? It's, it really is amazing. It really is uh, absolutely amazing. But this is part of what has made me change, you mm-hmm. see, Frank. Understood. This is, well, you have to sort of be able to look at things in life, even at 50 years old, and say, something's not right here, right? Something's not right. There is a party that's of, of no common sense, of extreme wokeness, of the political correctness, to the point where... Only thing that matters for them is their narrative. You know, what struck me, I mean, this has struck me a number of times over the years, but in 2016, you had Trump and and Sanders both running for president in their respective parties. Their messaging was heavily anti-establishment. Both of them uh, were very critical of uh, reckless free trade. 
Both of them were very critical of these never-ending foreign wars in the Middle East. Uh, both of them uh, did things like call for common-sense reforms, like uh, allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices, which they're actually prohibited from doing by law. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously there's a significant difference on immigration. But you really could see how they were saying a lot of the same things. They were the only two major candidates to be opposed to the TPP at that point. Do you see a scenario in which we could be seeing, and I think you see it to some extent on the Ukraine issue right now, but do you see a scenario where we could be seeing a political realignment happening in this country where you have folks on the far left who might be supportive of Bernie Sanders and folks on the far right who might be supportive of Donald Trump kind of working together on a whole host of of policy initiatives? It's very possible. And, you know, there were plenty of people when it was Trump and Bernie, right, that were saying they're very much alike. And remember, you had progressives saying, no, he's nothing like Donald Trump. And I tried to explain, we're not really talking necessarily about policy, but we're talking about Uh anti-establishment. There were people who were tired of the Clinton-Obama regime, right? And that took them to Bernie Sanders. And there were people who were tired of the Bush-Cheney regime that took them to Donald Trump. They They want politicians who actually speak in a blatant, you know, no BS manner to them. And I think that's what appealed to both sides of the political spectrum. Although I am not one of those people who think Donald Trump is an extreme right winger. Okay, I don't. I don't really. Well, I, I don't. I, I don't really fall for that. Yeah, that he's an extreme right guy. Well, I think a lot of his supporters might be. Might be. Uh, sure. But uh, tell me about and let's be heard. If people are considering listening to the podcast, what are they going to hear on it? Well, you know, uh, unlike uh, terrestrial radio and podcasts, you can curse, you can really, you know, let I, loose. I let loose, and I do let loose on podcasts. Um, and I, I think it's, I like the angle of, you know, I'm a guy from New York, I'm a kid from Brooklyn, I lived on, like you, I lived on Staten Island for 20 years, and I have a, a particular political view that I think is pretty well-rounded, because I'm not one of those people that just watched Fox all my life, or just watched MSNBC mm-hmm. all my life. I've watched... Years of CNN, I've watched years of MSNBC, now I've watched years of Fox, especially over the last three years. And I think I have a, 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 I can actually say that it's almost like when people criticize a film they haven't seen, you know, right. they've been protested, and you say, have you seen it? No, we haven't seen it. It's just we've heard about it. Well, you know, it's what people have heard about Tucker Carlson. It's what people have heard about Brian right, Kilmeade. Right. Yeah, and they, but they never actually listened to them, you know. Uh, and so I think, I think that I bring that perspective and, of course, the perspective of someone who's really changed Politically Why did you choose to name it as a tribute to Bob and Let's Be Heard? Because I learned so much from Bob. I mean, I really did. I mean, I learned a lot from working at WABC. Give in the folks 90s. a sample. If, if, if there was a caller uh, that was surly with Bob or critical of him, either for his opinions or for, you know, his, uh, his hair or anything at all, how would Bob react? Uh, hey, pal, you know, he would say something like, you know, and of course, you know, Bob's signature line of get off my phone, you gavone, you know, so and it's it's, it's that kind of uh, radio I think people loved. I mean, people love that. They loved the, Bob had we had a promo for Bob, which was I love Bob and I hate Bob. Right. <laughs> and I think that really described it. And the same thing with like how it's turned back in the day where people listened because they loved him and listened because they hated them. Uh, real quick. Tell me about your experience with Tony Sirico. Well. When I was in Las Vegas radio, I, I, I have a family member who's uh, friendly with someone who knows Tony, and he got me Tony. This was before The Sopranos. This was about a year before. Really? year before he was cast. He had done a lot of the you know, sure. bit roles in right. mafia movies, yeah. usually playing mafia he guys. He good fellas. He had been in Gotti, I think. Absolutely. So I had him on, and I remember doing a you know, pre-interview call with him, just setting it up. And he said, Mike, uh, I'm going to be on the show for an hour? I said, yeah, we'll do the full hour. He goes, 
I can't promise you I'm not going to curse. <laughs> he said, I might curse. I said, Tony, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll deal with it. And the pro he was never cursed once for the entire hour. And he told me this great story, which I'm sure you've heard, where, you know, he was in jail. He worked for the Colombo family. Mm-hmm. He went to jail, and an acting troupe came in. And that's how he got the acting bug it's amazing. in jail. It's a tremendous, yeah. tremendous story. Micah Chopoli, uh, best of luck with the podcast. It is called Let's Be Heard. Check it out wherever podcasts are available or just go to callin.com and uh, you can just search uh, and Let's Be Heard. You'll find it on there. Next time you're in town, you got to come by. I will. An open Absolutely. Invitation. Of course. Thank, Thank you, you very you. much. Thank if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 